Well, good morning on this lovely day in January in Louisville. I'm just thankful to be here. I hope you are too. Thank you, Joe, for leading us so well on the worship team, uh, for leading us to the throne of God's grace. And so now we come to the central act of Christian worship, which is the preaching of God's Word. So take your Bibles, please, and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Be looking at verses 1 through 3 as we introduce what I've said before, and I know you get tired of hearing me say this because I say this about everything. It's hyperbole, I know, but I really do mean it. One of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And here's why I love it so much. I love this chapter because it is biography. If you know me very well, I love biography. I love all kinds of biography. I love uh, presidential biographies and sports biographies and rock star biography, you name it. If, someone's, if your biography is written, written, I'd be interested to read it. And so we get a lot of mini biographies here of the great saints set off by faith, by faith, by faith. And so we're going to spend several weeks looking at these, these paragons of faith, of what it means to not only be a Christian, to be one who follows Christ, but to persevere through many dangers and toils and snares because that's why we're here. That's what the entire book of Hebrews is about, and I've argued this. Yes, it's Christ is better, and because Christ is better, you can persevere in the faith. So let us hear now the word of the Lord, Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 3. Let's stand and honor the reading of God's word just one more time here, real quick. This is very familiar territory to most of you. Now, faith, good place to start. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of God, sorry, the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. Let's pray. God, this is your word. We thank you for it. It's what we need more than anything else, God. We need you to speak to us now, not, uh, Lord, through me, but through your word. Lord, so now take your word and plant it deep in us and cause an abundant harvest of righteousness to grow up in us this day for your glory. Build your church in us and through us, Lord. Make us holy even as you are holy. Cause us to leave here today hating sin and loving righteousness more. And give us grace. Grant us grace. Increase our faith. Help us to persevere in the faith through many dangerous toils and snares, not to have our, our eyes on the world, on the flesh, or on the devil, but on your word, which is alone our only hope. So give us grace now to understand it and apply it to our hearts. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Can I maybe get somebody to turn some lights on here? I'm having I'm a little bit of a struggle to see my, my text here. Thank you very much. Let there be light. And it was so. And so I'm thankful for that. Thank you very much. You overestimate my ability to see, apparently. Well, I think most of us knows that there's massive confusion in our culture about the word faith. At least the word faith as the Bible, as the Bible articulates it. Our faith, Christian faith. What is faith? Where do we go for a definition of faith? Well, Right here, I would argue, is the definition of faith, but there's much confusion. We sing about faith a lot, at least during my growing up years, we sing about faith. Bon Jovi sang, keep the faith, right? 
But what does that mean? What is faith? What do they mean by keep the faith? Keep the faith in what, right? Well, George Michael, you got to have faith. That was a big one from a long, long time ago. you got to have faith, faith, faith. Oh, baby, faith, whatever, you know, we'll go into that. We'll sing it for you. But faith, but we're not sure what that is, right? It's like blessing. People talk about I'm blessed, but what do they mean by that? Who blessed you? We'll stick to faith this morning, though. That's in our text. Or the great theologian George Jones, she's got a lot of faith in me. And I hope that's not true of my wife. She's got a lot of faith in me. I know what he means by that, I think, but, but I'm not your Savior, right? But we sing that way. Got to have a little faith. But the question is, faith in what? And the media talks about faith. I remember when Mark Richt was coach, football coach at the University of Georgia, a Christian man, very open about his faith, and they would say, you're a man of faith. And I know they meant by that, that's a synonym for Christianity, right? Because they don't want to offend people, and they'll say, well, a man of faith, and so they just leave that very nebulous and undefined. And that's how the media talks about faith. He's a man of faith, and they don't go into what that faith exactly is. I don't think they know. And my fear is, in the church, we don't know either, right? We have faith in faith. Well, some say we have faith in faith, that faith can move mountains. And watch this, we'll move mountains. We can put faith, and then we can put money in our bank account if we just have enough faith. I've tried that so far. It's not worked very well, right? God's provided. But what about faith in faith? Or what about, is it just a leap in the dark? Some people say, well, it is just a leap in the dark. So what does he mean here? Well, we've come to what some have called the Hall of Faith, what I like to call the, the Cooperstown of Faith because I'm a baseball fan. The Westminster Abbey of the Bible, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones called it, uh, the, 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 chap, the faith chapter, very, very famous chapter because it deals with both the primacy of and the excellency of faith. And without faith, it's kind of like a car without an engine. You're going to go anywhere as a Christian. You're not a Christian without faith, right? Properly defined of course, the themes is the new is better than the old, the new covenant better than the old, the new means of salvation better than the old because it's the only way. And, of course, persevering in the faith. And by the time of Christ, Judaism was no longer the supernatural system God had originally given. It had been twisted into a work system with all kinds of legalistic requirements. And this audience, as I want to remind you, was being tempted to return to that legalistic system because it's much easier to check boxes than it is to have faith, Right? Because often faith is kind of nebulous in our minds. It's, very, it's kind of invisible, right? The, the outcome of our faith in this world is often invisible. And so it's easier to say, well, I did my duty today, and I checked this box, and this box, and this box. And so this audience, we're being persecuted for being Christians, think it might be easier if we just go back to checking boxes because that's kind of tangible. But I would argue that, along with the writer of Hebrews, that faith biblically understood, is tangible. In fact, it is more tangible than what I see in front of me right now. As we're going to learn later on, this kingdom, the kingdom of God, as Augustine called it, the city of God, is much more, much more realistic, much more real than the kingdom of man, right? Because it will endure forever. And so our faith, if we understand it biblically, is much more real than what we see, even though it's faith in something we don't yet fully see. And I think what the preacher here, the writer, he, he wants us to deepen our confidence. He preaches this in his sermon, remember this is a sermonic letter I'm arguing, to deepen our confidence in God's promises. Spurgeon wrote a great old book called Faith Checkbook. It's a little two or three paragraphs of the promises of God. And about a couple years ago I read through those every day and it really encouraged me. It's just 
God, we're standing on God's promises. And so I think that's kind of what he's, why he's given us this, why God has given us this. So we can turn from the fleeting pleasures of sin, the fleeting pleasures of this world, and live out a radical kind of love that comes from having our hope in God. Faith like that which Paul speaks of in Colossians 1, 4 and 5. He says, since we have heard of your faith, speaking of the church at Colossae, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. He's heard of their faith and their faith is in the hope laid up in heaven. He's getting it right at the heart, striking right at the heart of what this means today, right? We want to see faith has a forward orientation, a future orientation as does much of the Bible, and I want to say this at the outset. Who is the hero of Hebrews chapter 11? Is it Moses and Abraham and Lot and all those spoken of here? No, the hero of these biographies, just like the hero of your biography, if you are in Christ, is God. The hero of my story is God, Right? The Bible is about God. We just always we have to say this because we make this a man-centered document, don't we? And yes, there's much to be gained from studying their lives. We're going to see that, but mainly it's the faithfulness. It's about their faith, yes, secondarily, but it's primarily about the faithfulness of God. They've tried God and they've proven him faithful. And this is true in many of your lives as well. And some of you come here this morning struggling mightily, maybe even with your faith. You're struggling to trust God. You're looking at the world you see. You're looking at this country and you're saying, whoa, just like Joe said earlier, man, what a mess. Is there anything we can trust? Do we have a president we can trust? Did we have one before? And I would say unequivocally, no. Have we ever had a president we can trust? No. Not in the same way we're being called to trust here. And I don't mean that they're somewhere, they're all untrustworthy louts. So I don't mean that. What I'm saying is our trust and our hope is not in that. If it is, let's reorient ourselves this morning to the, the, the people of faith in Hebrews 11 and the God who gives us the gift of faith. You understand that you believe because of the sovereignty of God, not because you've conjured this up, right? You've reached down within the resources, the well of your own goodness, and you brought out faith. No. You don't have that ability. That's why we have thousands of people passing our church by this morning and probably laughing at us up here saying, those people are crazy. They're up there thinking this book that's 10,000, 6,000, 4,000 years old is going to solve their problems. And until God opens their eyes, he changes their hearts. They're going to think that, right? We shouldn't be surprised. We're people of faith, really and truly. And God is the hero of our story. God is the hero of Scripture. But there's hardly anything more important than faith to our daily lives. The running, of the running of the race, he's going to call it, set before us all the way to the finish. Because I'm not interested in having a big church full of people who are not running the race and who will not finish well. Here's what I want. Here's what Pastor Doug and Pastor Clay, here's what we want for you. We want you to finish well. It doesn't matter how you start. Not really. I want you, and these men, and I know everyone in this church, we want you to finish well. Brian Payne, dear friend of mine, many of you know him, Dr. Payne from, from uh, Boyce College, one of my dearest friends in the world. His mother went home to be with Jesus earlier this week, died after some effects of COVID. And we, uh, in talking to him the, the other night, he was talking about running, she's running a race on with the end, and she's finished well, finished in Christ. Pray for him, and he's a pastor at Fisher, First Baptist Church, Fisherville. Many of you can know him, but pray for him. But he knows that one day, that her faith is now something one day he'll see her again. 
And that's what we want. We want you to finish well, and that's the purpose of this book. So what faith is not? We need to sort of disabuse ourselves, first of all, what faith is not. That's my, one of my first main points in verse 1 here, where he says, Now faith is the assurance, now look at, listen to the language here, the assurance of things hoped for. We want assurance, right? Not just of salvation. We want to be assured that everything is going to be all right. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, wow, kind of ratches it up. It's assurance and conviction. You have convictions here. We have some pretty strong convictions in this church, right? Conviction of things not seen. Wow. Well, what, what is faith not? Let's say get this out of the way first. Well, it's not faith in faith. Faith does not help me create my own reality, no matter how deluded I may be. I can't speak reality into being. That is a heresy that's being taught popularly in this country, in Africa, and all over the world. Right? We, that's one of our leading exports. Religious exports is the, the so-called prosperity gospel, the word of faith mood. I can speak my own reality into existence. Once I told uh, one of these people I worked with, I said, you know, I've he- I had a headache, it's killing me. They told me they started making all these, uh, you know, waving their hands and saying, wait a minute, now stop that, now don't say that, you're going to kill yourself. I was going to kill myself. I think they wished I would kill myself, probably. <laughs> Given our theological differences, we're going to kill yourself because I'll speak it into my life. Is that what faith is? Well, I think everybody here knows that that's just foolish. That's silly. That's not what faith is. No. But there is a school of thought out there that's very popular, especially among television preachers, which I think has more in common with New Age thought, New Age religion, than biblical Christianity. It's kind of a name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, whatever, but that, we, we don't believe that here. It's not an irrational leap in the dark. Faith is spoken of here is not, as John Mellencamp called it, the blind faith of Jesus. That's really bad theology, isn't it? The blind faith of Jesus. We're rocking in the USA, right? I'm going to give the blind faith. No, 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 no. Not a leap in the dark. It's not wistful longing that something may come to pass in an uncertain tomorrow. Immanuel Kant, the great, life, the great uh, Enlightenment philosopher, said there's, there's faith. There's two different stories. There's faith, and then there's like reality. There's reality, and that's what happens really in truth. And there's faith, and that's just kind of what you believe, right? And we've bought into that. I use that not to, to show you my, that I know philosophy, but we've kind of bought into that, right? This upper st- two-story universe. Right? Faith, and that's fine if you have faith, but we live in reality. But it's not that. It's not an irrational leap in the dark. He said that as if faith is just, uh, I, you know, I don't have enough faith or I do have enough faith. No, irrational uh, leap in the dark of some nebulous thing. No. So faith is not faith in faith. It's not an irrational leap in the dark. Let's just get that off the table now. What is faith? Well, five things here about faith. One, and I've already said this, faith relates to the future. Faith is like everything else. The Bible has this future orientation, right? All the Bible is eschatological, which is just a $5, $10, $100 word, theological term for the future, study of the future. It all has a future orientation. If it doesn't, it's really worthless. Because we're not really worried just about today, I hope. We're worried about the future, what's going to happen. I don't mean just in this country, but I mean when you die. Because as you've heard me say many times, last study shows that 100 out of every 100 people die. You die. Some of us sooner than others, right? Young people, older people, we're going to die. And so we need to know about faith. We need to know something concrete, don't we? It relates to the, We need to know about the future especially. Faith takes place when things are hoped for but not yet possessed or manifested or seen. 
So faith deals with the future. Paul makes this clear in Romans 8, 24 and 25. He says, now hope that is seen is not hope. We have a great blessed hope. That's the second coming of Jesus, right? That's the context. But if we hope, I'm sorry, now hope that is not seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Or hope that is seen. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's the, that's the, the essence of faith. Faith concerns unseen spiritual realities. Faith concerns things as they are in God's sight. This is God's reckoning of things. God's assessment of reality. We have to trust that. Because we don't have God's assessment of reality, do we? So we have Scripture. So we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's why I tell you, read it every day because your mind needs to be transformed. Your heart changed, yes, your mind transformed. To think the way God thinks. To have the mind of Christ. That's another thing we're after here. It's to develop the mind of Christ. So faith relates to the things we do not yet have, to things that we hope for and do not see, to things that are promised by God but are so far unfulfilled in our actual experience. Dr. Payne's mother had never experienced heaven. She has now. And by the way, her the she knows more theology than her son now. <laughs> theology lessons complete. And some of us say, man, that's fantastic. <laughs> Those are you students, right? I think that. I want to know everything. So there's, there's a certain definite appeal to me there. Probably you too. But faith makes things real to us that are otherwise unreal in our experience. But faith makes it real. Again, it's not faith in faith. It's not no silly, but it, but it makes it real. right? Because this book, this is not fiction. It's real, isn't it? It's more real than what I see here. This is, this is the whole drift of the rest of the book of Hebrews. Is this kingdom, oh, it's shaken. A whole lot of shaking going on, but that kingdom, it cannot be shaken. And I want you to hear that this morning. You're going to hear that every week because there's a lot of shaking going on. Just, just never mind that, okay, as Christians. Now, be involved in it, yes, but never mind that. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We'll get to that in a few weeks. But faith assumes that God's reckoning of reality as displayed in His Word is correct. This book is inspired, it's inerrant, it's authoritative over my life, and it is right. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons I believe Christianity so strongly is it squares the one I see out here, right? Genesis 3 explains really well the mess, the shipwreck, just the, the, the garbage I see out here. In fact, I'm actually surprised it's not worse. If it weren't for God's common grace, there's a doctrine we need to someday, we need to teach on that a little more, God's common grace, then it would be far, far worse. It's not as bad as it could be. You think, oh, it is. No, it's not. Some of us remember 1968. It was as bad as it is now. And even then, it's been, it could be far worse, right? So faith relates to the future. Now, scholars translate verse 1 here in a variety of ways. The ESV and the New American Standard Bible, a lot of you are using these. I'm assuming you're using different translations here. I'm using preaching with the ESV, which translate it. Now, faith is the assurance, two key words here, assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The King James, New King James, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence, I like this, the evidence of things not seen. So substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Substance and evidence. The NIV takes a little more, a little more license, but now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's not bad. That's 1984 NIV. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. 
So second, the second thing, as we see from these different renderings, faith is the assurance or substance, is the second thing about faith, assurance or substance of things hoped for. Now this term refers to essence. That's the real content. We all have essence, right? A dog has doggishness. It's essence. This is how we understand the Trinity, which I'll save for another time too. Speaking of essence, now we understand the incarnation and that the, the two God is, Jesus is, is fully God and fully man at the same time and not confused and all that. Very important truth, but we'll get some other time. But this term refers to essence, the real content, what a thing really is as opposed to mere appearance, how it appears to be. No, it's, how it really, it's the essence of a thing is what it really is. A dog has doggishness, right? There's something intrinsically doggish about dogs and dogs, <laughs> right? That's the essence of the thing. Faith, then, is grounded upon the ground upon which we stand, waiting for the fulfill, fulfillment of God's promises. And so this word is used as, in the New Testament as a, a very rich meaning of substance or being or foundation or confidence and assurance. Listen, this is the title deed, right? We have it. This is not I hope I have it. I've asked numerous other branches of Christianity, those I've met over the years, are you sure you're saved? And they said, we hope so. And there's a theology within evangelicalism that says we hope so. If they're honest, they say we hope so. I don't want you to say, I hope so. I want you to say, I know so. Because the Bible says, I know so. That's it, because we trust in something that's immovable in Jesus Christ, and I'm getting ahead of myself here. Third thing about faith. So faith is the assurance or substance of things hoped for, and thirdly, the conviction or the evidence, that's a good translation, of things not seen. The conviction or the evidence of things not seen. Now, Calvin prefers the demonstration of things not seen. I like that for good reason. Because this carries the same truth a bit farther because it implies a response or action on our part. Our theology must be lived out. It must land on the ground, right? I'm interested in raising up theologians, right, but not speculative theologians. Those whose theology impacts every corner, all the DNA, the pores. It sinks down into the pores of your everyday lives. That's what we're interested in here. Of course, you've got to know it first. And we're going to teach unapologetically doctrine. We teach theology in our sermons. You need that more than anything else, I believe. But you need to act on it. And so this, this word, conviction or evidence, it, it insinuates action. The person of faith lives out his or her belief. You live in accord with it. His life is committed to what his mind and his spirit are convinced is true. Noah, think about Noah. Noah's out in the middle of the desert. Some scholars say it's never rained. Okay? And he says... It's going to come a flood and destroy all of you, and I'm going to build a boat, and everybody who wants to be on board can come with me. <laughs> right? What would you say? We know the story, right? But I don't know what I'd say. So Noah has been to Lynchburg down there near where Doug comes from, and he's been hitting the Lynchburg lemonade. That's what Noah's been doing, right? <laughs> we need to get Noah. Noah's on a bender again. Of course, we know he has a history of drunkenness, as we know the rest of the story, right? So Noah's already on the sauce, okay? what you'd think. It's what I would think. But Noah believed. And he took a risk. And he did something just completely. Now, I'm not asking you to do something like this this morning. Right? But it, it, his faith drove him to action. Think about Abraham. God said, Abraham, leave your hometown and go to land. I will show you. He didn't even say where. He said, like, go to Nashville. I would have said, now, where are we going? Now, where's this we're going? What if I don't want? What if it's you know, somewhere, somewhere I don't want to go? I'm from the south, it's up north, and I don't like that. If I'm south, north, it's down south, I don't want to go there. I know about that. Lord, tell me. No. 
go to a place I'll show you. And he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. You have justification by faith in the Old Testament, right? He believed. And faith drove him to action. He went and, and he is the father of the faithful. We're here. We're the sons and daughters of Abraham, aren't we? Wow. That's what faith does. That's what faith does. That's what we get into the Hall of Faith. We'll see Abraham again. Christians display a confidence that translates into action despite the counter-testimony of the whole world. The great Chinese evangelist, Watchman Nee, rightly concludes, faith is always meeting a mountain of evidence that seems to contradict God's word. A mountain of apparent contradiction in the realm of tangible fact. And either faith or the mountain has to go. Which is it going to be with you? That's the question. Right? Is it going to be faith because we all have doubts. We've all doubted at some point in our lives. Is it faith that's going to go or the mountain that goes? And that's the difference, all the difference, that thin line between heaven and hell. Is it faith that will go or the mountain that will go? I like the way he puts this. why I quoted it. And either faith or the mountain has to go, they both cannot stand. And, of course, we know the natural man, right? Cannot, they cannot comprehend the kind of, this kind of spiritual faith. We see him who is invisible as Christians, but... The unsaved man does not because he has no means of perception. He's not undergone the new birth. The blindness of, from his eyes spiritually have not been removed. The scales remain. And he's blind. He or she, they're blind to this kind of faith. They're blind to the God of faith. Because they have no spiritual senses. They do not believe in God or the realities of God's realm, God's kingdom. They're like a blind man who refuses to believe there's such a thing as light because they've never seen the light. This is why we do evangelism, right? We take the gospel to them so that they may see the light and believe. And, of course, there's a sense in which all men live by what we might call natural faith. John MacArthur said, society is built on a foundation of faith. We drink water out of a faucet with perfect confidence that it is safe. We eat food in a restaurant, confident that it is not contaminated. We willingly receive our pay in the form of a check or paper money, neither of which has any intrinsic value at all. We accept them because our faith in the person or the company or the government that issues them. We put our faith in a surgeon, in medical science in general, though we may have not have the least training, competence, or experience in medicine ourselves. We submit to the surgeon's knife <laughs> entirely by faith. I don't like surgery, you don't either. And yes, it is a leap of faith, isn't it? God has created the capacity for faith in us. For me, it's flying on an airplane. Now, I've flown hundreds of times over the years, but I've never really liked it all that much. And I'm trusting this. I always want to ask the guy, the pilot, so is this a good airplane? You have a license here? <laughs> Does the state of Kentucky say you're a pilot? You know, I know what you say, but tell me. Because it's a leap of faith. I don't understand totally how that big old gigantic million-ton airplane gets off the ground. And sometimes I wonder if it's going to. I'm always nervous during the takeoff because that's when things happen. And I look out there and I watch and I can almost count. We should be lifting off by now, you know. Because I have little faith sometimes. But that's natural faith. Right? But we live that way, don't we? Spiritual faith operates in the realm of that same capacity, though. It willingly accepts and acts on many things it doesn't understand. This is why it's a cop-out to say, well, I just can't believe that. You believe in lots of things. Do you believe you have a brain? Yes. Have you ever seen it? No. Well, then maybe you don't have a brain. And maybe they don't have a brain, right? You're saying, yeah. Some people, you just wonder, don't you? Some people wonder about me. I'm sure. Does that guy have a brain? No. I think I do, but I don't know for sure. I've never seen it. Don't want to see it, frankly. But spiritually, faith operates in the same realm. 
We, we trust things we don't know. We believe in the sovereignty of God. We have a very robust view of God's sovereignty here, right? A big God theology. That's what we believe. But do we understand it? Do we understand how the evil and, and the goodness of God coexist if God is absolutely sovereign? No. Man's free will and God's absolute sovereignty, meticulous sovereignty, how do those go together? Spurgeon said, I don't have to reconcile friends, right? But I don't understand it fully. But I know the Bible teaches it. So it's, 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 it's a life of faith, isn't it? Spiritual faith is radically different from natural faith in one important way. It's not natural. As it is to trust in you know, water or the bank or the doctor, it's entirely a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we know this well. For by grace you've been saved through faith is not of works, the gift of God, so no man may boast. If you believe today, if you're a Christian today, it's because God has come after you and unilaterally made you believe. He has caused you to believe, enabled you to believe. Unopened, he's opened your blind eyes and unstopped your deaf ears and given you faith to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. He's granted you repentance. He's done it. As Jonah said, from the, the belly of the fish, salvation belongs to the Lord. And, of course, he was vomited out after that. <laughs> but he's right. Greater theological statement has never been uttered in the history of the church. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We don't completely understand it, but we trust in it, right? Rick Phillips said, faith is the key issue in which the matter of salvation depends. It is the, the key that turns the lock on the door to eternal life. Faith is the channel by which we receive the benefits of Christ's saving work. It is the cup in which God pours his saving grace. We just hold up the cup, right? And he gives us strength to hold up the cup. <laughs> and he pours it in. And we believe. That's your spiritual biography. And I know that because that's my spiritual biography. And it's a spiritual biography of every Christian who's ever lived. There is no other way. USV Study Bible says, By defining faith as assurance and conviction, the author indicates that biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in imaginary wishful thinking. But it's a settled confidence that something in the future, something not yet seen but has been promised by God, will actually come to pass. Because God will bring it about. Because God is trustworthy. We're not trustworthy. We're not promise keepers, but God is, right? Biblical faith, therefore, is not a blind trust in the face of contrary evidence. Not at all. Not an unknowable leap in the dark. But it's a confident trust in the eternal God who is, get this, and we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, love the attributes of God, love to study that. We trust in a God who is all-powerful. He has all the power. He gives you power if you have it, but he has all the power. Politicians think they have power. They're like an ant to like a T-Rex. <laughs> the ant says, I'm going to get you, and he's like, <laughs> Yeah. All-powerful, all-knowing. He knows everything. His knowledge is exhaustive, right? He is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time, this God. He's eternally trustworthy. He is infinitely good. He defines the good. Evil is a parasitic truth. It, it depends on evil for, or in good for its, its existence and its, even, its very definition, right? Because God is good all the time. And he's infinitely trustworthy because he is. And he's revealed himself to us in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ, whose promises have proven true from generation to generation and will never leave us nor forsake us. We're going to learn in Hebrews 13, 5. So such faith in unseen, the unseen realities of God is illustrated throughout Hebrews 11. And it's provided confidence and assurance to all receive Christ Jesus as their Savior and Lord. In other words, faith, your faith is an absolute certainty. 
I mean, often the, the things the world considers unreal or impossible. So Christian hope in reality is belief in God against the world. Fourth thing about faith. Faith is related to suffering. Remember we saw in, in last week in chapter 10, verses 32 to 39 about how they had suffered, how they'd visited uh, those in prison, how they'd given up the, the plundering of their goods. They'd given up their goods. They'd let goods and kindred go, as Luther put it, right? John Piper said this, This is the kind of life that the whole book of Hebrews is aiming to produce, a life that looks at the high price of love, the seizure of property perhaps, or some other kind of abuse or calamity, and then accepts that possibility joyfully and does what love demands no matter what. That's the life Hebrews is aiming at. People who risk property and life in order to bring the love of God to others. People who do not look for comforts and ease and security as a necessary thing in life. People who are free from the American assumptions of style and safety and wealth and leisure. Oh boy, are we ever awash in this. This Amer We're all brought in the prosperity gospel on some level, I'm afraid, all of including me, right? We assume style and safety and wealth and leisure. He goes on to say, people who know there's one life to live, and the only, only what's done in the name of Christ and for the eternal good of others will count in the end. That's how this sets us free, liberates us. Faith in Christ liberates us to live risky lives for the sake of others and for the glory of God. Love to God, love to neighbor. Live that out in reality, in the, the full court press of everyday life. Fifthly, faith, has an, object, uh, faith is, has an object, and thus it is grounded in two objective realities. One, a sovereign God who's sovereign over every molecule and atom and subatomic particle, as R.C. Sproul loved to say, and I love to say it too because it's true. Every blade of grass, every grain of sand, sovereign. He calls its name and it does his bidding. He knows it. He made it. He rules over it in his good providence. Every nanosecond of every day, of every month, of every year throughout history. History is his story. Secondly, the other objective realities is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Who he was, his sinless life, his active obedience and his passive obedience at Calvary where he went and paid the price, bore the wrath of God we deserve to bear. So faith has an objective, is grounded in objective realities. Sovereign God, the person and work of Christ. How glorious. Second main, or third, third main point, faith, that's what faith is not, what it is. And now he says here, by faith, Old Testament saints receive the commendation. And I'm going to leave it at this. That, this merely means that Old Testament saints were saved by waiting for and hoping in a Messiah to come, not in keeping the law. That is a big misunderstanding especially in a dispensationalist Christianity, some older forms of it. There's two, there's two covenants. There's a covenant of works, and I believe there is a covenant of works, but not this way. A covenant which we, old, the old covenant people of God worked their way to heaven. If they kept the law, they'd be saved. Of course, they couldn't keep the law. And then there's a covenant of grace, which is what the writer speaks of here, and that's by grace alone which I would say it was always by grace alone. They were looking forward to a Messiah to come. And as we've seen in earlier chapters of Hebrews up to now, it's, we see the types and the shadows and the pictures in the Old Covenant worship. And the, the spilling of the blood of bulls and goats and the, all the sacrifices and the festivals and all, all those things. Those were just foreshadows of the Messiah who would come, who would fully and finally deal with sin. So the Old Testament saints received their commendation. The people of old, he calls it here. 
Fourthly, verse 3. My last main point here. By faith we know the world was created out of nothing. Do we know that? Were we there? Were we there the day God said, let there be light? We weren't. It's like one of my children asked me once if Abraham Lincoln was the president when I was a little boy. <laughs> of course he was. Yeah, that was right. But Abraham Lincoln voted for him. First Republican. Right? <laughs> I'm not that old. None of us were there. Right? We weren't there to see God say, let there be light. No one was there except the Trinity. All three persons of God had active and created in the world. Right? We know that from the earliest chapters of Genesis. So the time of creation is not verifiable. How old is the earth? I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I have a good guess. I believe it was young. Some people believe it was old. We disagree on that. I don't know. At the end of the day, I'm not sure. And I think that's the right answer. <laughs> I think there's evidence in Scripture, and I have a very strong opinion, a very strong conviction about it being young. I think there's a lot of implications, but I mean, at the end of the day, I wasn't there. Right? Not that old. And the beginning of things cannot be explained by evidence available to our eyes. That's part of this point here. Without faith, we cannot even explain the world in which we exist, how it got here. Creation is, was ex nihilo, out of nothing. That's what he's saying here, out of nothing. God didn't have like trees in one part of the universe and like dirt over here, you know, and I've got like Kentucky here and Russia here and Georgia here and, you know, uh, no, I'm going to pull them together. No. God just said, let there be, and it was. And we weren't there. But we have to trust that it's true, right? And we do. This is God's creative word. Verse 3, that's what he's speaking of here. The writer appeals to the word of God as the object of our faith. If God's word was capable of creating everything out of nothing, and I think this is the point, then surely the God who spoke everything into being, the trees and the mountains and Georgia and Russia and Kentucky and everything else that exists, right? You and me and our dogs and everything else. If he was capable of creating everything out of nothing, then surely that is sufficient ground for your hope. Surely he's not going to let the light bill go unpaid, probably. Right? I can probably handle that. If God's word is sufficient to bring all that is into existence, it is also sufficient to give me all that I need. If I, I'm without peace, but God promises me peace. The same word that made everything out of nothing promises me peace. Surely God will make peace for me, and so I believe that word. That's God's promise. That, that's his point here. See where I'm going with this? God's word promises victory. First John 5, 4, but I don't feel the victory. Do you feel like Christians are victorious? I don't feel victorious today. Not particularly. Do you? You probably don't. You, feel like, you probably feel like we're about to be really persecuted, and we may be. And that's why we need this. Incidentally, but isn't that word which created galaxies sufficient for my faith if I feel defeated because it says we're going to be victorious someday? The church militant one day and militant now, victorious later. Your best life is later. Yes, that's right. We have that promise, right? We're going to have the victory. Just wait for it. It's in the future. It's that future orientation Scripture has. I mean, the same holds true for life and joy and salvation. Though we do not see them, we see God's Word, we read God's Word, we intake God's Word, we memorize, we meditate on God's Word. We remember its power and we rest our hearts in it. This is why you need the Word. I'm not trying to just get you to check a box and tell me, hey, I read through the Bible this year just like you asked me to. I don't want you to tell me because I don't care, but I want you to be healthy and strong and mature. And I want you to have faith that's immovable when the circumstances of life hit the fan and they will. I want you to be immovable. Because it's not a leap in the dark. Our faith is not. It's how we distinguish, you know, 
uh, what faith is not from what faith is. It's not just a positive attitude. People say, he's a real positive person. He's always positive, speaking positive things. I'm not very positive sometimes. You know that, right? <laughs> always talking about sin. That's true. That's not what faith is. It's not just kind of a happy, clappy, nice guy. That's not faith. We believe the Word of God because it is the Word of God. The Word of the God who made all things and who, as Hebrew, Hebrews 1, 3 hears, tells us, sustains them by His powerful Word. Back in, or back in Hebrews 1, chapter, verse 3. We read that a long time ago. He sustains everything by His powerful Word. Our faith feeds upon the Word the way Jesus described when tempted by the devil. He said, man shall not live by what? Bread alone, but by every word which comes from the mouth of the Lord. We don't live by bread primarily, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We feed daily on that, and it feeds our souls. That's what's pictured in the supper, right? We're being nourished by, by faith in Christ and through his word. Because Jesus is what? The living word. The word in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Jesus is the living word. We feast on him. We are nourished and strengthened and sanctified. We grow strong from his word. We rest secure in his word. It bears fruit in us. The word bears fruit in us as we do. Which the writer of Hebrews back in chapter 4 verse 12 says, The word is living and active. Not a dead letter. Living and active. It's transforming you. It's transforming me. It's causing me to hate sin and love righteousness. If I am reading it and meditating on it and taking it in. If I'm not, then no wonder I don't hate sin enough. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Right? That's it. We need, we need a light in the darkness. And this is the light. This is the lamp. We need God's word. I love, let's go back to what the King James translation. Remember it said, it's the evidence of things not seen. I think that makes sense. After all, in light, light of, of this verse, the evidence, faith, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What about faith and evidence? Those go together. I thought faith has no evidence. I thought you said it's in unseen, invisible realities. You talking out of both sides of your mouth here? How is Faith, the evidence of things unseen. Well, I think he's talking about the created order here. Romans 1.20. Since the creation of the world, Paul said, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have clearly been seen. There's the evidence. Being understood by what has been made. There's the, I want to see the evidence. It's all around you. All around you. I think Romans 1 tells us that the things being made point to the maker. Right? Just like a builder of a house points to the builder. The, the creation points to the creator. And for, for the believer, this is evidence. It's evidence for us. So we see through faith, we see the fingerprints of God and all the things he's made. The complexity of the human eyeball. Who can explain that? No one can explain that. Apart from a designer. So, well, evolution, we eventually have millions. And don't give me that. Things tend to become more disorganized over time. The magic ingredient of time doesn't solve this, right, for evolution. I'm sorry, but it does not. Grand Canyon, Appalachian Mountains, ocean, the four seasons, hurricanes. Wow, look what God has done. And by seeing those fingerprints, we see a kind of evidence. I think it's strong evidence. I think Big Bang cosmology Big, the Big Bang as an explanation in evolution, Darwinian evolution as an explanation for what we see is irrational. In fact, I would argue it is an assassination of the mind to believe that. 
And a lot of brilliant people, far more brilliant, forgot more about everything than I'll ever know. They believe it. And I think it's because their eyes are blind to it. Because the equation is nothing plus nothing equals nothing. On what planet is that not irrational? Nothing plus nothing equals nothing. Nothing comes out of nothing. Or nothing plus, that, that's rational. Nothing plus nothing equals everything. That's the equation. Zero plus zero. And I'm not much of a math person, as most of you know. But I know nothing plus nothing equals nothing. Not one, not a hundred, not everything. No. No, no, no. As we talked about in Sunday school this morning, God did not create himself. Everything could not spring out of nothing. I agree with R.C. Sproul. It's a revolt against reason to believe this. Because as you hear, you know, journalists will say, well... Billions of years ago, the creation exploded into being. And R.C. Sproul loves to take this on, so I'll take it on too. Explode into being. From what? Is there any secondary cause without a first cause? No, there's not. Right? There has to be a cause, a first cause. It just doesn't explode out of nothing. Right? Everything doesn't explode out of nothing. There has to be a first cause. And there's no effect without a cause. Right? No effect without a cause. God caused it. He made it out of nothing. I think this undermines Big Bang cosmology as irrational. Closing, what does faith do? What does it do? Well, this is great, but what does it matter? Well, three quick things here. Faith is how we receive the blessings of salvation. Justification, forgiveness of sins, Imputation of Christ's righteousness, perseverance, they're all given to us. We gain those things by trusting in Christ's finished work at Calvary. Second, faith sustains us in the midst of trial and difficulty. Paul, we learned this from Paul's ministry in 2 Corinthians. Faith, he had a, gosh, he was, he was persecuted in every way you can be. Almost killed, right? Beaten, left out in the cold, almost drowned. Whole litany of things, and yet his faith sustained him. See that in 2 Timothy 2. I don't have time to read that right now, but 2 Timothy 4, 16 to 18, if you're, if you're interested in that. But we trust God because he's faithful. That's what the Pilgrim's Progress is about, right? It's trusting God in the middle of all those dangers and toils and snares all the way till the end. Thirdly, faith enables us to live joyful lives of sacrifice and humble service of others. It sets us free. Romans 8, 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the, with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You say, you don't understand what I'm going through. But look at what the Bible says. The sufferings of this present time, and you may be going through something awful. I've been through some bad things we all have, or we will. But the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do you believe that? Do you have the faith to believe that? Because it enables us to live joyful lives of sacrifice, laying down our lives for others. J.C. Rowell said, in walking with God, a man will go just as far as he believes and no further. His life will always be proportioned to his faith. His peace, his patience, his courage, his zeal, his works, all will be according to faith. And some of you may be doubting, and I've had doubts we've all doubted before, right? But we can trust God. We can flat trust Him who's made everything out of nothing, right? Who sent his son to die in our place for our sins. It's at the root of our character, what we believe about God and about ourselves and whether we believe in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. 
Raul concludes, let your root be right and your fruit will soon abound. Speaking of faith, your spiritual prosperity will always be in accord to your faith. He that believeth shall not only be saved, but shall never thirst, shall overcome, shall be established, shall work, walk firmly on the waters of this world and do great works. So are you trusting in politics? Are you wringing your hands about the election? Some of you are. A lot of evangelicals are, to which I say stop. Our trust is not in a man. It's not in Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Ronald Reagan or whoever's next or whoever's before or after. It's, that's it. If your hope is in that, Go back and read Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. If you're just blown asunder by that this morning, you're worried, where's this country going to go? Well, we, none of us wants to see it go down the, the, the pit, right? But the king of this country is not the sovereign king of glory. God is. And let's remember that. And let's trust in him that he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him called according to his purpose. We're not going to fall away because of elections. We're not. Some of us like it, some of us don't. Most of us don't now, I'm sure. But hey, Jesus is still Lord. He's still on the throne of the universe. We need to pray what Luke, the disciples told uh, Jesus in Luke 17, 5. Lord, increase our faith. Because we have objective realities that provide an unshakable, immovable, undefeatable foundation for our faith. A sovereign God who spoke all things into being out of nothing upholds his creation every moment by his good providence. And a sinless Savior who bore God's wrath in our place at Calvary. Christ Fellowship Baptist Church, I close by asking you this. Ponder this throughout the week and pray about this. Where is your hope? Let's pray. Father, there's so much in here, and I pray that I've done it at least justice. I'm sure I haven't. God, give us faith to believe, to trust you. I know we're all at different places, different levels of maturity, different, different levels of faith, Lord. But your word tells us if we have faith the, 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 the size of a mustard seed, that we can move mountains. So it doesn't, Lord, it's not how strong or how big our faith is, but it's the God who is big. It's you, Lord. It's you, Lord, who are our only hope. So, Father, I pray for those who are anxious in here about their personal lives, about their bank accounts, about their, about their careers, about the election, about politics, about their marriages, about their friendships, about anything, Lord, that they would look to you. They would look to you in faith and trust in your promises. And today, this very day, even though they may not understand either everything about you and none of us does, because you're incomprehensible, finally, at th the end of the day, they may not understand what's going on in their own lives. But they, with childlike faith, will trust you more. And they will stand on your promises, and they will not be moved. And God, if there's someone here who does not know you, and they are wringing their hands over this world, and if they're outside Christ, they should wring their hands. I pray today will be the day that you birth faith, that you say, let there be light into their darkened hearts and the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus shines in them and you draw them irresistibly and affectionately to yourself unto salvation and they're set free from love of self and love of this world and they love Christ and their neighbor and live lives full of salt and light to glorify you and enjoy you forever. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.